Husky Nation, it's the end of the third quarter. Are you looking for the perfect tequila for your next get-together? The answer is born from a hero, Hero de Leon, direct from the prestigious Murguia family just outside Guadalajara, honoring their great-grandfather who saved Mexico from a horrible civil war. It's authentic, courageous, with great integrity, just like the general. Enjoy the smoothest Blanco tequila you've ever tasted or the rich flavor of our Reposado, aged for seven months in American bourbon barrels. Or the ultimate tequila, our Añejo, which is aged for 18 months in the same bourbon oak barrels. Go to your favorite liquor retailer or restaurant and ask for Hero de Leon because it's always the end of the third quarter. Imported by Zombie Beverages, Mercer Island, Washington. Hey, Husky fans, welcome back to Fourth and Inches, a Husky podcast. My name is Trevor Mueller. With me is Coach V, Jake Grant, and Kayla Olin. Washington is 9-0 in conference, 12-0 for the first time since 1991. They're the only team in the Pac-12 era to get through the conference schedule unscathed. It wasn't easy for the last six or seven weeks, and this one was no different. Kayla, you were absolutely right, and I want you to have the first word here, not just because you were right on the struggle that was to come, but the reality is me and you had to talk through the 4-8 and eight season, and that was miserable. And you and I had to continue to try to figure out some positives in a really, really dark negative time uh, in Husky football. And two years later, to be 12-0 and 0 is just insane, so the floor is yours. I remember that four and eight season just trying to make a lot of prices right jokes, I think is what uh-huh. is the TV show that we were making jokes about or trying to make references to just because we didn't really want to talk about football too much. We had to, but we didn't want to. And now we want to. We look forward to doing this. It's not like a hey, you want to record it? I know not really. Right. And the turnaround from just that being just a few years ago is crazy and experiencing all of us on this podcast have been fans even during an 0 and 12 season so the only team to go 12 and 0 in the Pac-12 era the only team uh, vice versa so that's been amazing and unfortunately I I mean, I love being right, but I hate being right at the same time. (laughs) (laughs) It's a win-lose situation for me, for sure. But I had made comments about how this was a few weeks ago, I think, on how Washington needs to clean up those penalties because it will come back sooner or later. And there was people who said, no, it's fine. Penalties aren't an issue. Well, it's an issue when it takes three points off the board and gives them seven in return. That's issues. And there will always be issues around a rivalry game. There will be issues come this weekend because Oregon is wanting revenge and Washington's looking to not be as consistent as they were the first time they played Oregon. So I was very stressed the entire game. I watched the first kick and I did not watch the second. (laughs) And I've never been so happy to be wrong about that either. So yeah, what what a great experience for Grady Gross hitting the game winning field goal and then getting on full scholarship. That was a really cool video. Uh, Jake, we've been doing this podcast since 2018. We've talked about some really good football teams before, but we've never talked about a 12 and 0 team. Your thoughts? I mean, it's historic. You know, this is this is something that you only get to see twice in a lifetime um, for a couple of us. <laughs> Kayla, uh, we don't remember <laughs> the first time around. 
Uh, were you born in 91? You weren't. Yeah. Oh, you're a baby. Yeah. It's okay. Uh, so for some of us, we don't remember it because we weren't <clears> alive. <throat> Others of us, I barely remember it because I was five. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trevor, four, if I'm not mistaken. Nailed it, Coach was 37. <laughs> um, so... So it's been a while, man. It's it's been this has been a historic run for a lot of us in our lives, and and as far as this team goes, we're not. I, I dare I say we're not Alabama, so we're not used to this. So this is we we want to see this happen regularly, but when it happens, it's very very special. Um, this team has probably played with my emotions more than the 2016 team, the the Browning-led team, as far as winning tight games over and over and over again. Uh, seemed like Browning's team won by bigger margins regularly and didn't struggle. To, I mean, this last half of the season was, I mean, they called it death row for a reason, right? So to see at the start of November, if you said that we'd go 4-0, and and not look good doing it would you take it yep i mean i i would have so to come out of it undefeated and and still in the cfp hunt I, i'm happy about it through a windstorm through a rainstorm yeah i'll take that all day mm-hmm. and yeah, the you... usc team that was on the ropes you're gonna get there like Washington got everybody's best shot this year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Caleb Williams looked absolutely defeated after losing to Washington because he had just played the hardest he's ever played in his entire career, right? He wanted to win that game. He almost willed USC to win that game. And then you go to Corvallis and what you and I described as the nastiest game we've ever been to as far as a as a football game goes. Coach might have been to a couple others that were a little bit nastier, but I mean, as far as as the weather goes, that's number one for me. I've been to a lot of games, and that was that was ridiculous. And uh, to have the turnovers and the drops that we did, battle through the defense to to carry this team the way that it has when the offense hasn't been clicking is absolutely special to me. Yeah, and Coach, you experienced the '91 season in a different way, uh, being old enough to really follow and remember it. You also lived through the 2008 season and the fallout of Tyrone Willingham and even the departure of Don James. Tell me what your experience is like, because on one hand, I feel like there's a this is where we belong. But there's also the last 20 years of really fighting to get back to this point. Yeah, um, my Husky fandom was always pretty, you know, when I was a kid, it was there, but I wasn't, you know obsessed with it until I really started understanding the game a little bit better and getting more familiar with it. I would say like the, like in the late eighties, early nineties is, uh, you know, that, that sweet spot where I kind of jumped in full speed and I just kind of, you know, came from that entitlement of it's always going to be like this. And then 92 happened and the sanctions and, and everybody came for Washington and, you know, scholarship limits and bad coaching hires and up and down and, oh, I think we're back, you know, new Heisel's recruiting like like a madman and, and we just came off this Rose Bowl and everything's going to be great from here on out. And obviously it just got really bad for a while there. Um, it just goes to show that the you need to have the right people in place and leadership from the top down, athletic director, your, your, your president, 
Um, and for a long time, you know, it was a, a push and pull sort of like upper campus versus the athletic department versus the football team. So I, you know, when I was younger, I thought this was the way it was supposed to be. This is always how it was going to be. And all those, you know, kind of up and down years just make these last couple seasons very sweet. And obviously the Chris Peterson years um, had a lot of success there. Went to the Rose Bowl, went to three straight, you know, BCS, BCS, New Year's Day, uh, New Year's Six and a playoff game. And um, I kind of don't want to go back to the other things. So. You know, I think we've got the right people in place, but right now I'm just, you know, I know we just had Thanksgiving. I'm incredibly grateful. I'm incredibly thankful for what we're experiencing this year. And we've got hopefully three more games left. And I don't want to take any of this for granted. And I'm just sort of living in this moment right now. I'm going to go down to Vegas on Friday and watch our boys play. And uh, hopefully we can collect some duck tears on the way and enjoy them on the plane back. And, you know, that's such a big deal because this team uh, two years ago, the Jimmy Lake experiment failed and there was a lot of names being thrown around. And we've talked about it, coach, that you had tabbed Kalen DeBoer as a possible at some point here. But to have him come in to bring the staff that he did, the jokes about Fresno North bringing Michael Penix in a guy who made a good play, you know, you knew about him from that one year at Indiana, that iconic dive to the pylon to beat Penn state, but to be here two years later, uh, a 19 game win streak where the last, you know, the last six or seven have been just real tough to watch, but the launching pad of beating Oregon and the trajectory that it's put this team on since then is something that people of me and Jake's generation just it, it's you couldn't have written a script better. Washington is has beat Oregon two years in a row, four out of the last seven, and it's they haven't lost a game since Arizona State. And it doesn't matter what they look like. I, I agree with you. It's it's such a thankful place where you had kids come back. J Mac ended up putting his original commitment picture up on Twitter. Uh, where it said something like, let's make history, and they did it. And then even Rome after the game, just watching him as a as as a freshman and even as a senior in high school and listening to him in interviews and he said, you guys have won. Uh, somebody asked him about, you know, you guys have won in a lot of different ways. Do you have more ways to win? He's like, oh, yeah, no problem. Like, the guy is so laser-focused. This team is just full of competitors and – it's crazy to say, and you can ask my brother-in-law, I watched it with him in an empty house as we were moving my in-laws. I believed the whole time they were going to win. This team just finds way to do it. Um, anybody care to comment? I find it shocking that no matter what was going on in the game, that you absolutely believe that they were going to win. Um, after, <laughs> right before that fourth down play, um, <laughs> I, I thought we were punting and I the way that that last drive had ended with an atrocious penalty and uh, giving up that (laughs) score. I didn't think that there was any way that we were going to stop them from kicking a really easy field goal. So once, once we didn't snap the ball before that timeout, I thought it was absolutely game over. And um, internally I was dying inside and I I feel bad for everybody I was watching the game with. I think it's interesting to, look at, you know, what you guys were saying about the coaches and 
who we, the hiring process and everything that happened, because I was one of those, I think we talked about it in a podcast, Trevor is not nervous or skeptical of Kaylin DeBoer, but Washington didn't go out and get a big name hire. And that was something that a lot of Husky fans were criticizing. And I don't know, love Coach Pete. Love, love, love Coach Pete. I love that he would die for the dogs. But I don't know if Washington would have won this exact game with Coach Pete as the head coach because I don't think he would have gone for it on fourth and one. And I don't know. I mean, Dan or yeah, Dan Lanning will go for it on fourth and one every time. But <laughs> with that play call, it was, I think, that full circle moment of we thought we had it good with Coach Pete. We took Kalen DeBoer for granted a little bit or maybe knocked that higher. And to see what he has done with that program, it's an ESPN 30 for 30 waiting to happen. And and props to Kalen for not just going for it on that fourth down play, but putting the ball in Michael Penix's hands where Michael had the choice to either re- hand it off to G- DJ or hand it off to Rome for the big play threat, which could, could have potentially gone really sour because Rome's heading backwards. He's five lines, six yards behind the line of scrimmage. And DJ and, did uh, not get to the line again. And DJ did not get the line again. So to trust your, you know, your your guy, your quarterback, with as much trust as Kalen has and and Michael is was really special to see. And and that just absolutely showed itself on that fourth down play was wow. And, and and the balls on, I mean, the balls on Michael to take that shot with Rome too. I mean, he he's he's gonna have to carry those things around the campus with a wheelbarrow. It was freaking incredible. I've also never seen Michael Penix run so fast. He like kept up with Rome stride <laughs> yeah, for stride. Yeah. Oh, that was that was Michael Penix uh, at Indiana before yep. the injuries. That was him just kind of leading out the way. Um, I honestly thought it was a really intelligent uh, call just because. You saw what happened on the last short yardage play where they didn't get it. Wazoo's whole strategy was to just sell out. Everybody's got a gap. We're going to shoot as far as, you know, as fast as we can. We're going to try to disrupt the offensive line because in their minds, they know that if they just play it straight up, that big offensive line is going to run them over. So knowing that and knowing that you're the offensive mastermind coach and thinking to yourself, they're going to sell out again on fourth and one. Let's just get outside. And how do you do that? <laughs> you fake the dive and you get, you know, Michael to pitch it and then run around the corner. If anybody even thinks about not shooting off the edge there, Michael's there to kind of get a piece of him. So in all honesty, it was a pretty safe play. It just, nobody saw it coming. It was a perfect fake. I thought Dylan Johnson had it the entire time. I did too. So did the cameras. You, you and, and, and Tony Castricone. I, I, I can, I can agree with you, but I can also disagree with you in the fact that it's not a safe play because a lot can go wrong in that situation with that, with the RPO option of handing it off to Dylan Johnson, Dylan Johnson can hold on to the ball too long. We've all seen it in football, right? He can grab for that ball. It can come out. Uh, He could miss, he could mishand the ball off to Rome. It could go flying out of his hands on fourth down. You don't get another play after that. I mean, that's football, right? Football's a game of inches, but as far as safe plays go, that doesn't scream a safe play to me. 100% disagree because um, again, 
he can see out of the corner of his eye if where they're you know aligning and where they're where they're kind of creeping up and i'm sure the conversation happened you know when when they're going to run this play that hey um you know michael's got a chance to keep this here and i honestly thought from the bad camera angle i thought for at first that he just pulled it out and did an option pitch because we couldn't really see the play and then i saw on the replay and i was like this is wide open so again you've got one of the most dangerous playmakers in America coming around and while everybody's selling out the AB gap stuff because they know that our, our bread and butter is inside zone run. And I thought a lot of the stuff we called in short yardage was terrible during the game. I, I, I We can go into that later. But that was the ultimate sell job by the offensive line, by the tight ends. Quentin Moore was down on the ground just kind of acting like, hey, we're gonna we're just trying to root everybody out of here. It was uh, it was one of those things where like they have to get 100% sell out to beat our offensive line to not get a yard. So we're just going to count on the fact that they're going to be undisciplined and shoot, just just shoot everybody through there. And they're not going to have everybody on the edge. We're going to have two on one or two on none. But the Coach, scary part is, is if something goes wrong, they get the ball on the 20, the 20 yeah. yard line. I mean, you lose the game, the gate, they, they, the season that we expect came to that play. I, I like, I, I see what you're saying though, coach. Like it, it was a safe play. I, it's just so scary to where it was. I had absolutely no confidence in our punt game to get the ball like on the other yeah. side of the 50. I agree the with 40. that. And I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, if we punt this ball and he shanks it, or if he just doesn't get it all and they get it at midfield, we're done anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a play we have never seen them run. At least I don't believe in two years. You have not. That was that was deep in the bag. They're like, okay, we've never put this on film. We're just going to do it, and this is our this is our bread and butter play. the The only thing that makes me sad is that we had to break it out for this game. Right. We don't have it for you know the next few games. So I'm sure there's a variation off that. I'm sure there's a trick off that. I'm sure there's an opportunity for maybe McMillan or Rome to run that play and then throw it. Yeah. I'm sure there's there's all sorts of crazy stuff they can do with it. But hey, if you want to talk about being conservative, I'm no Dan Lanning, but I once on fourth and six from my own 30 yard line called a fake punt off a swinging gate formation. And we got the first down throwing to our snapper. So Let's you go. you're a psycho. <laughs> I stole that play from Iowa uh, when they when they ran it against Ohio State a few years ago. And I'm not I'm not joking. If you've never seen it on film, there's no way to defend it. Uh, speaking of kind of defending things, I was telling T today, I was like, um, like never thought about it, but the quarterbacks, the ones on the sidelines kind of getting the signal in and then the offense on the field are the only ones know what's about to happen. Imagine just like what's going through your head as a defender for the Huskies on the sideline, watching that, not knowing, like thinking that Wazoo got to stop and all of a sudden Rome's just go like just the a roller coaster of emotions i've never really thought about until that moment just watching it back today on tv just no one else knew but about 15 people yeah grady gross said that he just had his his face down and he was just listening for the crowd because he he couldn't watch it first half it looked like it was going to be at one point i kind of thought washington was going to be up uh 21 to 7 at the half that ended up not happening Coach, walk me through the final play that mattered in the first half. Why was Elijah Jackson uh, in that position? Chuck Morrell. Um, 
so to rewind the play before when it was second long and uh you know they end up scoring on the third and 17 with like 27 seconds left but they had the exact same de defensive look they were going to try to bring pressure or, or look like they're going to bring pressure and they had the corners rolled up playing man press and i'm thinking to myself that's not a good idea so now fast forward to the next play third and 17 you think all right they're going to have to back them off there's just no way they brought two blitzers up the middle they brought the two linebackers and they still had both corners and press i believe it was kind of hard to tell from tv it looked like um jabbar muhammad was playing the slot and he was about 12 yards 10 yards 12 yards over him which also drives me nuts as a formation elijah tries to press he gets an inside release on him gets back to the outside he gets he gets completely turned around and i'm thinking to myself why the heck are we in this position if you're going to bring two guys set him back like seven yards and just let him read the quarterback he can he can get into a backpedal that way another thing they could have done was run a little switch exchange where Muhammad would have been deep over the top and he would have sat down in the flat to take any anything you know out route cross or anything like that it was such a weird I'm not gonna listen this guy knows a lot more about defense than I do this was a bizarre uh, couple plays here and we had a chance to hold them to a field goal and they get a touchdown on a, on a miracle play simply because we didn't do the sound thing defensively and you can blame EJ all you want he played terrible technique on that whatever who's calling that coverage because it wasn't just him going rogue they were doing it on the other side as well so I'm not sure what the what the plan was there but if you're going to bring two people you're going to have like seven or a cushion man yeah, and I I don't know about you, Coach, but I, for the most part during the game, I I only felt confident in the defense when they were bringing five or six guys, um, off 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 to to get pressure onto Cam Ward. When we're only bringing four guys in, it felt like he had all day to to kind of pick us apart. They're double teaming Braylon Trice all day long when they were only sending four. He's sitting that back there with a clean pocket. When we bring five or six guys, mainly Eddie through the through the a gap and and bring that pressure up in cam ward's face is the time that i felt like the defense looked the best um and and maybe that's what they were going for um i i kind of wanted your opinion on the defense when it came to what what scheme did you like better bring pressure on cam ward or or dropping back and only rushing four well, it was really important to get pressure on him because you kind of speed up his clock. He's not the most accurate dude in the world. We did blitz him on that one play and he, you know, just flung it out there and, and you know, got, you know, they made the play and that's that's good for them, but it never should have been that way. My biggest concern with the, I thought the defense played really well, by the way. Mm -hmm. As a whole, I think they're getting better and better every week, which is really encouraging to see. There's still some times where if teams run tempo against us, we are absolutely flying around. We're not even getting set. The defensive linemen aren't even down in their stances yet. And like just barely put a hand down and then they're snapping the ball. Linebackers are running all over the place trying to communicate. I don't know why we haven't figured this out in two plus year or two years of just whatever teams speed us up, man. We we look disheveled. I will say that we talked about the RPO stuff last week and I mean, this is an unofficial number to me, but I got to think like when they run it, it's 80% in breaking routes, slants yeah. and stuff like that. And then they'll occasionally have a speed out. They ran a lot of the pick play stuff that didn't get called. 
illegal picks on the yeah. outside. Um, but when you're when you're defending third and five or less, and you're giving them giving the slot man a ten yard cushion, eight yards, that's yeah. an automatic. That is, they look at that and they say, "All right, we're 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 going to run that slant." Yeah. And I felt like we could have been a little bit more aggressive there. But at the same time, if you know they like to throw a lot of slants, why are you giving up the inside position? Like, I would force that dude to throw outs over slants any day. And I thought we let him off the hook on a few third downs. But then again, as a, as a whole, the defense played as well as possible, and the offense kind of hung him out to dry a little bit. Well, and finally in the second half, Javar Mohammed jumped one of those, and he almost got it on a slant. I um, feel like whenever – the offense is having a stellar game. We don't see a defense. And whenever the defense is having a great game, we don't really see an offense. So that's unfortunate. And coach, quick question for you. If on that touchdown to go into halftime, if Elijah Jackson turns his head, is that a difference of a touchdown or not? No, because you know what? I think he recovered. Okay. And I think he got his hand in there and, and jostled the ball. And that's there's, you know, the replay, like whether or not he had possession if you just back him off, he's not going to get behind him in the first place. At least I hope not. Um, but like I said, I, I really thought if if Mohammed's on the same side as he is, I would just assume that Mohammed follows the vertical and he sits in the flat and waits for something short to come over and maybe he jumps around and picks it off. But, you know, without being in that defensive huddle, you know, in their meetings, and uh, I was just really confused at what they were trying to do there. It was, all right, if you're going to bring pressure, let's not – press them on the outside to where they have an easy, easy go. I don't know. It's just, to me, it was the setup. It wasn't necessarily the player's fault. Yeah. And it felt, it felt like to me that they had their schemes backwards. And you'd mentioned that kind of before was when we're trying to prevent a touchdown before the halftime where we're, we're in press coverage. And when we're in third and three or third and four, we're eight yards off of the line of scrimmage with our coverage. Um, to me, that seems backwards. Even watching the game, I'm, you know, third down and four, I'm thinking, why are why are we eight nine yards off with with Elijah Jackson? Is it is it so that they don't get burned on a quick slant and he can't make a tackle, and they get forty yards out of it? Is it is it fear of his inability to cover anyways? I I don't know what it is. Well. He is kind of the marked man. If you're going to throw at one of the guys, it's going to be the the young kid instead of Jabbar Muhammad. But honestly, <laughs> I honestly believe that they are the epitome of we're just going to try to make them go 15 yards to score a touchdown. And eventually, they'll, they'll have a holding penalty. They'll make a mistake. And I, it drives me crazy because if you can get off the field in three plays, get off the field in three plays and give your offense the ball back. When they did that, the first two drives, it looked like Washington was going to take control big time. After a three and out, uh, a punt from Washington, another three and out and a touchdown. And then, like you said, they just went tempo and went boom, boom, boom down the field in five plays and uh, tie the game. I did feel like, however, Washington, it was, it seemed like when there was a little bit more pressure, Washington was able to get to Cam Ward quite a bit, um, uh, whether it was the turnover on downs or uh, the sacks that they were able to get on him. Uh, it led to what you were talking about, the first interception of the game where Washington goes up 14. And really that should have been at worst the score going into half. Getting into the second half, man, that was just a totally different animal. Washington, uh, just a freak 
play uh, for the interception, but they hold uh, Washington State to a punt. There's a missed field goal. Washington goes up on uh, uh, what what was the kid's name that slipped and fell and gave Roma Dunze the wide open touchdown. And at that point, I really th- and then the interception. I thought Washington was going to walk away with it, and that just didn't happen. Um, this team continues to not be able to put the foot on the proverbial throat and end the game. And instead we saw the theatrics that we did at the end. What's going on with Michael Penix? That's a, that's a phenomenal question. I've heard as much as big times getting to him. I've heard uh, once again, he's throwing up. I've heard he's still injured. I, I don't know. I, I, it seems to me like when I watch him, there's no finesse on any ball that he throws um, out within like the last three games. I feel like that uh, quick outs he's hucking to a point where Jalen Polk can't catch and Jalen Polk's got phenomenal hands. Um, it, 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 it screams to me like, um, I mean, uh, Michael's better, a lot better. And this is a poor comparison, but, the, with the velocity that he's throwing every ball, it seems like it's like a Jacob Easton type of a thing where he's just putting as much velo on it as he can and not putting any touch to get anything over anybody. Or So I don't know if that's just something that's in his head or if it's a coaching change or what it is. It just doesn't seem like it's it's been there the last three weeks as far as the touch on the ball that he's usually had. And there's been excuses during the win game and then the rain game. But this one, the conditions, it was cold, right, Kayla? It was cold. I was wearing four layers on top and two on the bottom and ski socks. So very cold, but the I conditions mean, were fine to throw the ball. Cam Ward did there it was the there was no rain. There was no wind. It was flat calm. I yeah. mean, there there was times where you saw a perfectly thrown ball. Right. Like that one with Rome's second touchdown. That looked like first six games, Michael Penix. Who... Or Jalen Polk's drop in the in the fourth. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at the numbers of what he did in the first half of the season with in the mid-70s for a percentage of completions, and you look at his most recent six games, and it's about 56. And I think the inconsistency and he just – Hasn't looked the same since he had those few big hits against Arizona State. I think that was definitely a turning point for him. And I don't know if it was more of he's a little bit more nervous getting pressure because he doesn't want to get hurt. Who knows? But I also know that watching it back, he just looked super emotional at the end of the game. Right. And then you have, you know, you have the overthrows early and then at the end of the game, and and I don't know if there was anybody in his face, but he almost has the ball picked off when he's trying to go to Jalen right at the post. And twice. If twice. He, yeah. If he throws it, if he throws a little bit farther, Jalen McMillan's catching the ball and it's a touchdown and the game's over. But instead he underthrows that one. Coach, do you have anything? Oh man, I have so many things, but I want to be clear. I don't want to speculate without absolutely knowing, you know, a lot of people are speculating they still injured from the Oregon game or the ASU game or whatever. I don't know that for a fact, so I can't state that, but I will say that 
the mechanics look different. <clears throat> Excuse me. He's not standing in in the pocket so much as, and he doesn't get pressured a lot, but when he does get pressure, it's a lot of throw the ball in, kind of turn a little bit. She's trying to avoid contact, but also I've noticed this in the last few games where, you know, at first I thought maybe it was the weather, but it happened again yesterday where he's late. Like he's throwing that out route and he could just turn it loose and he's, he's waiting an extra beat and then he's trying to power it out there. And it's, you know, even when we completed, it, it looks a little close, like the defenders right on his back. And there's, there's a couple of times where they've made plays on, you know, tough contested catches. Um, it's just not on time. It's, there's no rhythm to anything. And I know, you know, I said this, a few weeks ago and a lot of people kind of picked up on this on like social media, like I think softy did and a couple other people about the middle of the field and how we're living outside the hashes. And I'm like, it's still a thing. Um, we've abandoned a lot of the boot action stuff in the pocket. Uh, we've, we've, we've spread out and gone empty a lot. And then we just check the defense and then we maybe motion the back back in, but I think it's too much. And I think that if he is dealing with an injury or if he is, you know, or anything of that nature, I don't know, man, I'd like to use a little bit more play action. I'd like to use a little bit more boot action. I'd like to be able to get the ball out quicker. They did that in the first uh, quarter when they were trying to get the ball to Jalen and just kind of get him going. It wasn't highly successful, but it was just good to get it. You know, he got five catches real quick, real quickly. Um, but now, I mean, seams, slants, uh, just the middle of the field has kind of disappeared. I haven't seen us run a Texas route. Uh, we're not using we're not using DJ as a pass catcher very often anymore. Right. I don't know where that went because he's a phenomenal receiver. So I really think that we've just abandoned a lot of things, and I don't know why that is. And you'd have to maybe ask the coach or just ask the player in a, in a private moment. But it just seems to me like he's – not a hundred percent. Just that's my speculation. I, I have no inside knowledge. Now getting guys back on rhythm, especially in those timings on those routes that you're talking about, is that fixable in five days? It should have been fixable in five weeks. I mean, if we haven't seen it come back, I, I really don't know why. I just feel like they've gotten in this weird rut of play calling where we're, we're going to do this specifically and we're just going to count on Rome and Jalen to make these incredible catches and beat guys one-on-one. -on -one. I just don't think we need to. I don't think we need to make it that complicated. I think we can spread the ball out a little bit more. And um, my biggest concern going into Friday is I just want to make sure the DJ is as healthy as possible because we are absolutely going to need him. What, what, what kind of to add on to that point is I would like – we're not throwing the ball to our best-handed guy uh, enough, in my opinion. Uh, Jack Westover makes catch after catch after catch uh, phenomenal hands. And if he's not getting thrown to eight times a game, I don't think we're using him to his full potential. Um, and, and it could be five yards, six yards down the field, but eventually if you use him enough, it's going to bring safeties up. It's going, you're going to get double coverage off of Rome, off of Jalen, and you're going to get those deep shots without having to throw into double coverage. That throw at the end of the game where Michael threw it up to Rome in the end zone with three guys right around the ball absolutely gave me a heart attack and almost it almost put me into an early grave. If you are throwing to Jack Westover 
consistently or DJ um, and bringing those guys, those safeties up to play that, that opens that deep stuff out a lot more. Yeah. I think just going over the middle, like coach has been talking about, I think getting J Mac back involved, you take away the negative play. He was averaging like seven or eight yards a catch, which getting back into it is really important, especially when you're in situations often the last few weeks where you're in second and 10 instead you're second and three or four and then you you can kind of open up the playbook a little bit i still want to continue to get him the ball more i'd like to see even more bounce next week now that he's had more you know a game he still looked a little bit slow um but i think opening up the middle like you're talking about whether it's jack westover uh Jalen mcmillan uh devin Culp, dj whatever i like that that screen in the middle of the field that they've used with Rome before. I just feel like that's also going to help uh, when it comes to those situations down, down the sidelines. Two things really quick. Um, I just want to know what um, Jack Westover ever did to Michael Penix. (laughs) Because he can't just hit him in stride and let him run with the ball. He's got to make him like lay out for it. Every single big play you see Jack, laying out to make some miraculous catch since the Oregon game. And the dude just never catches the ball in stride and, and is able to just get yards after catch. So I don't know if they, they have a relationship issue. I think they need counseling. I don't know what's happening. Or maybe Mike <laughs> is just, you know, it's like, it's like my third option. And I'm just kind of like checking off before I get sacked and you're going to get what you get. The second thing I wanted to say, and I, I know I'm going to forget it now was, Oh, one of the most effective plays we had early in the season, um, we stopped going to because every time we trampled people on this throwback screen, we'd roll one way, we get the throwback screen going, four linemen are out in front, they run everybody over, they demolish people, and they would call some phantom hold. It happened at Michigan State, it happened at Arizona, it happened one other time, and they stopped using it. We don't do enough misdirection. We don't do enough. It's it's like we're just lining up and playing seven on seven. I hate seven on seven, and I'm a football coach. <laughs> seven, it is not real football. And I feel like we're just out there chucking, just chucking the ball for no good reason with no real purpose. It's just, hey, our guys are good. You're not as good. Eventually, we're going to get you. And I feel like that mentality and a couple other things that we can talk about later – are the reason we're kind of in this like constant battle to, to play a close game. Now the, the positive of that we're battle tested, you know, they're like, ah, eh, well, you know, we went eighth game by 40 and, and nobody knows if we're any good. Well, no, no, no. We haven't done that in a very long time. We've learned how to win with offense and shootouts. We've learned how to win with defense coming up with big plays and the offense doing just enough. We're winning with good special teams and whatnot. So I don't know, man. I know Oregon's pretty cocky about, you know, but they haven't been tested. Oregon hasn't been tested since Seattle. I feel like this is their worst nightmare. I have kind of one final thought on the whole Michael Penix and everything. And this is all just an outsider's perspective, but I felt like the first few games with Michael Penix is he just looked so much more comfortable. He felt so relaxed, a full season ahead of them. And he had a three-headed monster with Jalen times two in Rome. And he knew that there was always going to be one of those three. 
And now that Jalen was out and this was his first true game back, teams have seen what Rome can do and that that is Michael Penix's go-to guy. So now he's in double coverage, he's in triple coverage, and Michael Penix is still going that way in that direction. And I feel like there is so, so, so much pressure on this team. And it's, I mean, you get emotional thinking about a 12-0 and season, but it almost takes away from that feeling knowing Washington has to be perfect. If they go and they lose to Oregon in a close game in the championship, they're not making the CFP. And I feel like there's so much of that. He's not relaxed anymore because there is all of that. You need to be perfect. And you've had so many close calls recently and talks of a national championship team, talks of a Heisman candidacy. And now people say that is slipping away from him a little bit. There's just, it's not the same because I mean, you're later in the season and yeah, you should be able to perform under those stresses but he just doesn't look relaxed. And when he's relaxed, that's the best ball. And I think we're going to see that. I think that this was a massive check mark uh, for this group. They came back to win the conference and they're number one in the conference right now. They are 12 and 0 for the first time in forever. This team has cemented themselves as one of the best teams in Husky history. And now you're playing with house money. You're nine and a half point dogs in the, in Las Vegas. Um, everything now, the playbook is open. Um, I, I wonder if you're going to start to see some of those elements come back and really hit Oregon with stuff that you haven't, that, that they have never seen before. And then do the same thing to Michigan, do the same thing to, to Georgia. Uh, I, I, I believe we just watched this team win almost every way that you can imagine this team winning the off the offense is great. The defense sucks. Offense carries the day. The defense is amazing and makes the plays. Mish Powell takes a pick six back for, for a touchdown when everybody's throwing up this team found ways to win in a monsoon in a windstorm against Oregon when they were like 99% chance. Oh, they were one play away from winning and they figured out how to win the game. This team has the weapons. This team has the guys on both sides. This team is senior laden with just dogs all over the place. Watching senior day and watching those guys come out, many of whom lived through the four and eight season, and then many of whom believed in Kalen DeBoer and came here. This team has what it takes to continue to win. They've beat Oregon twice in a row. Oregon's playing great ball. It doesn't. It, it is what it is. Washington has it in them to win this game. They've beaten everybody on their schedule already. This isn't going to be a shock if they win the game. I think you see a massive exhale and you see a team that looks that looks like more of the team that you saw when everything was on the line and Michael Penix is spitting bars with Jalen McMillan on the sidelines of the Oregon game. Yeah, I agree. I, they have nothing to lose at this point, right? They They need to just go out there and play the – most complete game that they've played in three months, right? I, I'd say the most the the most recent complete game that they played was the Oregon game, um, and and now they're just at a point now where if they just put it all together one more time for one week, and they play that game, then then they have every chance to win this game. Yeah, I'm just it's going to be interesting to me because, like I said before, the last time Oregon was tested was in Seattle. Yeah, so. 
this team is just a bunch of dudes who are tough and talented and they all like I said they've all been like you said they've all been through the fires and they've come out on top right now and they are used to every week being in that pressure cooker so what's going to happen when Oregon doesn't if if they don't run out to a three touchdown lead in the in the first half mm-hmm. what's going to be their thought process it's easy to call a game when you when everything's working and you're just kind of in a flow and everybody's having a good time and laughing on the sidelines. What happens when, you know, heaven forbid you turn the ball over in your own territory or Washington gets you with a big play and and now you're, you're on your heels, the Huskies, you know, it's that, it's that sort of co-op that uh Bane line from, from Batman, you know, mm. only you've only, you've merely adopted the dark. I was born in it. Well, we're freaking born in it right now. We live in it. This is our this is our territory. And Oregon's just been living off of like, you know, easy breezy games, perfect sunny weather. days everywhere they go. No injuries and everybody telling them how good they are. And it's just unfortunate you lost that one game to Washington. They, they're a nine point, nine and a half point favorite now. They've been hearing, you know, they've been reading their own press clippings and and acting like they're the best team in the country. And I'm done. I'm done listening to it. I just hope the guys have been taking notes because this is these are the two most physical teams in the conference, and they're immensely talented. And uh, there's there's just not a whole lot of separation here. If you think this is going to be a really lopsided game, one way or another, the Huskies will mess up your plans. I feel like I've heard Trevor, Jake, and myself have some really clever comparisons or. Moments where you're like, yes, and you're Batman just now. I feel like I can't speak again. So that was cool. a good, that was cool, a cool, cool. Game. Thanks. And with that, <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I'm Kayla Owen. Go dog. <laughs> <laughs> to close out, I do want to, uh, I'm curious. We, we kind of talked about it pre-show a little bit. Coach, you have a doozy that nobody has for their MVP. I do want to go through offensive and defensive players to highlight. So coach, uh, Here's my olive branch to you. Uh, you you go first. Can I just do like, because mine's a little bit different this week, so maybe I should go last. Okay. Uh, Kayla, offensive. Offensive, are you classifying somebody who scores points? Or because I would say Grady Gross, because that was amazing. If that doesn't count. No, that counts. Okay. I don't. I never thought I'd see a day where a kicker is my MVP. And here we are. Freaking Grady Gross! I don't know if you heard the interview afterwards. He, he, he could. He didn't even after he kicked. He didn't even see it. He said it. It was five feet off off of his foot, and he couldn't see anywhere. But he knew it was in. And when his mom got on the field, he started crying. And then he goes in and gets a scholarship. How cool is that? And then cries. <laughs> oh yeah, I cried too. <laughs> Fantastic, Jake. Man, Jack Westover, man. The guy just continues to make big time catches. Every time that guy catches the ball, it's in a huge situation. And like Coach said, he he has to make an immaculate catch, another diving catch, and an, an extremely important situation. He doesn't get enough volume, but when he does get the volume, he makes the most of it. And uh, Jack Westover, man, you're you're a real man of genius, real man. Of, yeah, but he's <laughs> that guy's that guy's he, he's earned the my football for the season. Um, just the, with the way that he's been playing all year, man, that guy's incredible. Mini tangent. Th- did you hear when I was rewatching the broadcast back that that Wazoo has 
had a, it was 11 years before their first tight end touchdown. Yeah. What? I mean, that makes could sense. You, it was Mike mean... Leach, right? Mike, Mike Leach, man. I just can't imagine, say, Jack Westover walks on at Wazoo instead and they just don't utilize him. Made the right choice. Crazy. I also uh, want to say on, uh, on Grady Gross, um, when the kick went up, I went running out of the room screaming. And, uh, you know, my fiance is laughing and she's she's like just watching me act like a goofball. And I'm running down the hallway going, give that kid a scholarship. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I saw the video afterwards. So I was like, all right. All right. And he's you have a, Kaylin on speed dial. Yeah. He's a kid that I didn't know personally, but I knew of him because he's from the Valley. He went to Horizon High School in Scottsdale and he works with Roush kicking and the, the Roush kicking guy. Um, the coach is always at our field working with our kicker and a bunch of other kickers. And like they use our field all the time. And we just kind of, let him go over the practice field and do his thing with his clients. But our kicker, who's a senior now, he uh, he's a beast too. Um, he's been talking about Grady for three years. Just that's one of his kicking partners, workout partners. And he's just like, man, the kid is so good. And he works so hard and he deserves everything he's getting right now. Amen. Another guy who's going to deserve everything he gets at the end of this season is Roma Dunze. I know there's some guys out there that you can continue to talk about for the Bolitnikoff, but a guy who mean the only other player that means more to his team that you could even put in the conversation is Marvin Harrison Jr. And uh, I could definitely make the argument that, I mean, obviously the the duo right now of Jalen Polk, Roma Dunze and um, uh, Marvin Harrison and Amika uh, Buka, they're the two top tandems in the, con- in the country. But what Roma Dunze does for this team uh, cannot be, underscored um as the offense has struggled rome continues to make plays he continues to excel he continues to succeed he continues to refuse to allow this team's offense to cost this program a loss and they're 12 and 0 and he's probably the mvp of this team and he deserves the Bolitnikov because we have zero losses. And a lot of that has to do with the play that Roma Dunze has made, uh, the plays that he has made, the leader that he is. I, I just, I can't say enough about Roma Dunze. Um, and what, what a player. Um, he's my MVP. All right, coach. And, and the others are playing a championship game. Whoa. So he's got that too. Also, um, I rewatched the Oregon State game on, on, TV after the game and after Rome's first touchdown, he goes, I'm not done. And then <laughs> to go get another one to win yep. the game. And, and for that reason alone, uh, calling your own shot and, and coming through with it to keep a team undefeated is spectacular. So uh, good, good, good pick on that. I saw the weirdest stuff happening um, with up front with Troy Falutanu. Um, I had to go back and watch this like three times. It was on a pass set and he 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 set and the guy tried to roll spin off of him and he literally did an inside spin move and retraced like he, oh. he hit him, he did a spin and he caught the dude a second time. Holy <laughs> I've freaking seen that in my life. I never saw anybody do that before. And sometimes Troy, like I, I, he's just so athletic, he gets away with doing some really weird stuff that nobody else would get away with. It happened in the USC game too, where he was beaten 
and then he just got back like he like he teleports back in front of the guy the guy's like i ah, see you troy and now he's here and like <laughs> i just ditched you down the road like where did you come from and it was just it was just remarkable to see um he's playing at a very high level he is an nfl maybe you know day two pick as it stands right now he may have to move inside to play guard just because he's not the tallest and the longest guy in the world yes he has pretty long arms but I think he would be one of the best left guards in, in the NFL in a couple of years. He's just playing at a super high level. And, uh, you know, I think uh, Coach Dickert was right. You know, just when you watch a film, you, you see stuff that nobody else does. It's just weird in a good way. That's awesome. Coach, you want to go defensive? I'm feeling a little defensive that you asked me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um Honestly, I had this whole setup where I was going to dedicate this whole, but since we're going position by position, I'm going to pick out uh, Lance Holesclaw getting his first sack, whipping that dude and sacking one of the toughest guys to bring down in the conference. Um, just whipped around the corner, got a good, got a good shoulder dip, fought the hand, fought the entire way and just decked Cam Ward. It was beautiful to see. Almost had a little tear. He's another kid that I'm familiar with down here. He went to Desert Ridge, yeah. and we used to have our preseason uh, uh, scrimmage every year against Desert Ridge. And the first time I saw him, I thought he was the scariest looking free safety I'd ever seen. <laughs> he was just he was just in warmups running pass routes, and I was like, "What is that?" And like, "Don't worry, he plays defense." So I'm like, "Okay, good." And then he was lining up on the edge. I was like, "That's stupid. Stop it." He's got he's got a really special place in my heart. Uh, I when I was interviewing him when he was a prospect, my son came in and he talked to Kaysen for like three minutes. It was it, he was he. Yeah, I love that kid. Uh, Kayla, Carson Bruner. God dang it! I'm yeah. so glad you finally watched me over Jake Sorry, Carson Jake. Bruner. He has. I mean, he should be starting. In my personal opinion as yeah. one of the linebackers and. He just continues to put on for this team and steps up in the biggest of ways. 14 tackles. I feel like the last time we really started keeping track of big numbers like that was when we had BBK. And I also think that it is amazing that the last time Washington went 12-0, and his dad yeah. was wearing purple. And... Cool now him as well so no better mvp than that i remember uh seeing his dad for the first time on campus uh, at a um one of those like you know the spring events and stuff and my friend's dad met mark and that was just after his freshman year it was during his freshman year but it was spring and he goes you're a senior and, the, and he laughed he's like no i'm a freshman sir he just looked like a 25 year old man <laughs> year old. and his his son is is just a beast and what's incredible is that yeah i i've totally agree i i never want him to leave the field and we've got a you know we've got a the last couple of years we've been rotating three four guys at a time and there's no disrespect to eddie or alphonse or anybody else who steps on that field but he should never leave unless he's just gassed or if he needs to come off because of an injury because he is our maybe our most instinctive, our fastest linebacker. 
And now you've seen what he's done over the last month. He's just making plays everywhere. And he was already killing people on special teams with Tristan Dunn. So, I mean, yeah, yeah give us one more year. He's going to be a Buckus Award uh, candidate next year. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's that's obviously from my reaction to my player of the game as well. Um, sorry, not sorry. You did that to me last time. He has set himself up for constant success all throughout next year. He He's the one guy when you watch this team defensively, he is always at the ball no matter where he's at. And he's the one guy when you watch this defense that is a sure-handed tackler every time he's around the ball. When he's around the ball, he's plays, he's stopping the guys, he's, he's finishing tackles by himself, open field tackle against an athlete like like nothing was even happening. If, if I remember who it was that was it the running back that caught a swing pass in front of Bruner, and then Bruner made the tackle. If if he gets past Bruner, that's thirty yards down the sideline. That guy goes, and Bruner by himself makes a a phenomenal play. So athletic, breaks down, takes out his legs, plays over. Um, uh, secondary, I'd say Jabbar Muhammad, uh, the guy was absolutely spectacular. Trevor's pissed off at me because I just stole his. It's okay. Why did you do two? <laughs> you already did one. He's he's like, wait, I have one more. Shut up, Trev. <laughs> uh, the guy I'd also, just, I'd also a, like to make another pick before you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah hey, me too, Trev's actually. <laughs> he He's a consummate, a phenomenal player. He, he keeps making the best of best plays, locking down top receivers. Um, shadow shadow their best jabbar muhammad please shadow troy franklin all day long with jabbar and then just leave him on island and let him go all right i'm gonna coach, talk before anybody next, else takes coach my your spot. next pick coach well, your next shut pick. up <laughs> uh mckellistine uh has continued to develop into somebody who i'm starting to trust more and more the free safety spot with the losses of asa and then cam there were some time, and then when uh, when Vince Nunley's now out as well, this is your fourth string guy, and he's starting to make plays. He was in great position to make the interception that he had, uh, but he's he's in the right spots now, making tackles uh, up close to the line of scrimmage. Um, Coach, you can talk more about his development when it comes to where he's at, uh, when it comes to uh, the passing game, but but I feel like they've fi- they've he's developed and matured into not a first-year player that he's starting to look better at all phases of the game or am i making that up no i mean it's the more you play the more the game slows down the first time you saw him in there earlier in the year it was kind of dicey but every game has gotten a little bit better not having ace all year has been rough and you know we've had to make adjustments and then cam fab got banged up and He's been injured, and Dom has has kind of been the steadying influence back there. But what Mikel did the last three or four weeks has just kind of slowly climbed that mountain, and and now he's it doesn't look like the moment's too big for him. I mean, he just he's playing with confidence. So yeah, I'm proud of the kid. I I didn't expect anything from him. Yeah. Originally, when I you know when I saw him against ASU, I was like, oh, I don't know, man but he's completely taken over. And so 
now you're gonna have a fun situation and when cam comes back and you know you're gonna have these guys rotating through and you're gonna have more depth and you know it's gonna improve everything so Trevor, if I give up my Kayla's tangent for the episode, can I have an honorable mention for defense? Sure. I think we should definitely acknowledge ZTF. Yeah. And watching. Oh my god. That back, I was getting choked up, and it takes a lot for me to cry. And doing being able to come out on senior night and having that moment with his mom on his parents' twenty sixth anniversary, the day of. And being able to come out and still make a difference for your team all day. The sack, man. Yeah. Oh, that was a gutting uh, piece they did on him. Yeah, yeah. I was like, just rip my heart out and take it. Oh, <laughs> my God. Yeah, when I, I was watching that on game day and I texted you guys in the group chat. I was like, oh, I'm tearing up over here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was that was rough, but man, I just I want so much for that kid to go out with a national championship. Me yeah. too. Yep. All these guys deserve it. The guy they came back, they either stayed or they came back and stayed when they could have left. I I love this program. I love this team. I love the 2023 version of the Washington Huskies. They are so much fun to watch. They find ways to win, and I am feeling just as good as I did earlier in the year about them going to the Pac-12 championship. Uh, I can't wait. Anybody have final thoughts? If Washington beats Oregon, Georgia, Michigan, everyone better be afraid because that team's going to have a month to get healthy. And we saw what they were like when they were healthy. That's exactly what I was saying to those guys earlier. It's like, I just want to win this one game right now and then let everybody just heal up. Because this team at full strength is going to be a nightmare to deal with. Can't no wait. matter no matter when no matter when we play next, uh, we will have almost a month to heal up, and no matter who we play, should be absolutely petrified because this offense is going to be and that defense is going to be hit and and we're going to sure up things that they've been working on all season long. The only thing that that I'm worried about is if for some reason we don't come out on top on Friday, and we get held out of the playoffs. Does everybody still stick around for the Fiesta Bowl? That's that's the big you know worry I have is that oh sure we're going to be in a New Year Six game and then it's no offense it's Dylan Morris and uh, and some of the other guys versus whatever team decides to show up and I just I want them to go out on a, on a high note. So this game is just a, just so vitally important because the listen. We've been listening to these guys since October talk about how we got lucky when we beat them and how much better they are and they can't wait. They're just waiting to rub it in our faces. I want to start Oregon's next narrative talking about our recruiting rankings next week and then (laughs) Maddie. So the sooner we can move these guys on to the next topic, the better. And, uh, I couldn't think of a better team to just absolutely shove it in their face. And I believe we'll be back later in the week, Friday at 5 p.m. Coach V is going to be there. Can't wait for it. For Trevor Mueller, Coach V, Jake Grant, Kayla Olin, go dogs. Go dogs. Go, go dogs. Shout out to Leah and Jacob. Go dogs. Go Washington, beat Oregon. Go Oklahoma State, beat Texas. Go Louisville, beat Florida State. Go Iowa beat Michigan, but go Georgia beat Bama because I think if we lose, that's the best way in.